experience the ripple effect. This is the Empowering Youth Podcast from Building Utah Youth. A nonprofit organization established in 2007 to provide powerful leadership training to the youth of our communities. And now, here's your host, by board member, co-owner of Rapport International and certified trainer, Brett Johnston. Hello and welcome back to the Building Utah Youth Empowering Youth Podcast. I'm Brett Johnston. Hey everybody, Jeff Catano here. Hey, JJ in the house. Bailey Blanchard again. And I'm Branson Yeager. And we want to welcome uh, everybody here tonight and, and thank our listeners for tuning in. Um, you know, this has been a couple years in the making for Branson and and just a little history Bailey and, and Branson went to uh, Teen Eagle Quest together about a year and a half ago and uh, we'll get to that in the storyline but they've stayed in touch since Teen Eagle Quest and you know we're just thankful Bailey that you would take the time out of your day to be here to support Branson and and you know help him tell his story but you know Branson went to Teen Leadership Breakthrough in the summer of 2019, so about two and a half years ago. And uh, I know you guys can't see Branson right now, but Branson is, is big in every way. I mean, he's, he's big in his personality. He has a giant heart that is just, I mean, he encompasses everything. His being is all about his heart. He's all about how he can help everybody else and, and feel for everyone else and whatnot. But he really is a giant guy. I mean, he's a big man, which we're going to get to. But Branson, thank you for being here. Thank you. Can we officially call this our holiday episode? You get hey. to be on the holiday episode. I'll take it. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you, you've had an opportunity to listen to some of the podcasts. I know you listen to Bailey's podcast and um, we've talked about you being here. And I know that you've had a little bit of anxiety about coming here and, and sharing your story. I mean, just for the listeners, Branson's 18. And yet in the last two and a half years that we've known each other, there's been a lot of life that's happened. And so we've been eager to get you here and honored that you had come all the way from Grantsville um to spend a, a little bit of time sharing your story so we want to dive right in and what's your warrior name um humble elk humble elk i, I remember like that. that because my stepdaughter olivia went through the um what was it break the leadership breakthrough teen eagle quest teen, teen eagle quest so. yeah so yeah and, and and we were out there that was actually the weekend that that uh, our world stopped yeah mm-hmm. wow. a little bit of the weekend of covid in las vegas closing but you know branson we'll get going and i want you to think about i mean you've had an opportunity to think about your story and what you want to share and 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 knowing that the outcome that we all want from this is that you'll bring value to someone else's life through your own trials and and successes and struggles and failures and and yet you know focusing again on the positive so i want you to think back to you know any time in your childhood that you want to start and uh, just share with our listeners, you know, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school and things like that? And, um, you know, just, just whatever you want to share. Yeah. So, um, from Grantsville, Utah, I've always lived in Grantsville, went to Grantsville high school it's where, you know, that's where home is. So spent a lot of time with family growing up and cousins and grandparents. And so that was a huge part of my childhood i guess and don't remember a ton before the age of eight but that's kind of when things have shifted in my life 
pretty unexpectedly, I guess. But um, what happened today? My parents uh, got divorced, and so through that time, I struggled a lot mentally and emotionally, and it was a very trying time for me and my family. But I took it really hard at that age and lived on and off with dad and mom moving in and moving out and finally decided to call it quits. And so my mom picked us up and moved us the next town over to Stansbury. And in that time I uh, had found out that my parents split up because of some cheating going on. Um, And when I found that out, I took it really hard and wanted to move away and go live with my dad because I just couldn't trust my mom anymore. Well, let's talk about, you know, at that moment in time, you know, you want to go live with your dad. So what happened next? Um, so my mom was pretty resilient to that. She didn't like that idea. Resistant. I did that again earlier. Uh, yeah, she was very upset about that and didn't like the idea of me going to live with my dad. And, you know, I'm, pretty hard-headed, uh, kind of stubborn, especially when I was younger. Um, that hasn't changed just so you know, <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I guess. <laughs> so no, I just, I had to kind of figure out my own way to make it happen. And so I kind of started breaking some things and dragging furniture through the house and got all my stuff out into the garage <laughs> at eight years old. Wow. Or nine, I guess. I think I was nine when that happened. So pretty stubborn. Um, when I want something, I typically go get it no matter what. But, um, but that's not too unbelievable at that age to hear of that type of a reaction to the situation. Um, you didn't know any better. Yeah. You know, you were dealing with it the best way that you could at that time. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, we all deal with everything the best we can at the time, you know, I deal with things the way that makes sense in the moment. And rather that's, if that's effective or not. So, I mean, you think about it years later now, you're, you're many years older, you're able to process things just so much differently than when you were eight years old. I mean, you, you were talking about being hard headed. That's a good thing in a lot of respects. If you channel it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it, it's appeared in negative ways throughout my life too. And just in the sense of not, if I guess that hardheadedness goes both ways, rather if it's, you know, hardheadedness towards not wanting to do something for school or for football or um, just life in general. I just, I almost, you know, financially I didn't, but emotionally after that, I basically feel like I raised myself in a lot of ways and that's not always the best thing, but I was so hard headed and so stubborn to the fact of doing what I wanted to, that that's exactly what I did. I did what I wanted to. And, you know, I didn't have those punishments or those consequences as much after the divorce as I did beforehand, just because I was, I, well, that, that happens a lot, you know, in divorce, you've got mom and dad. And so what often goes out the door is a lot of the accountability and responsibility and things like that, because, you know, each parent doesn't want to, you know, lose that time 
or, you know, they're, they're really looking to create that bond and, and not have, you know, any, uh, limit the, the, you know, struggle or limit the pressure on the kids. So they both end up caving in often. And so then, you know, the consequences kind of, you know, shift because it's almost like often parents are playing against each other, you know, for, for some time, you know, I've always looked up to parents that can figure out a co-parent and, yeah. and, it, and there, again, there's, it's, it's a lot, you know, everybody thinks that parents, uh, you know, just because they're adults and have all the answers and they don't, you know, they're going through their own stuff. Do you feel like that is, has changed a lot more today than it was maybe 10, 20 years ago? Because I think about, I went through the divorced household at 10 years old, 10, 11 years old. It was much more grounded living under my mom's roof. And I didn't experience that same type of a situation that you just described with both parents. It was, you know, my mom was great. My dad was awesome, but he just didn't show up. He wasn't around. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, see that there's been a shift not, and it's not an all the time across the board, but it, it definitely often happens today where you've got the parents that always want to be the friends. Mm -hmm. Once the divorce happens, you know, it's like, I want to be the friend and, and the consequences leave. Um, and you know, for an eight, nine year old, that's definitely not helpful. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of developmental factors that get neglected when that tends to happen through divorce. And, um, you know, my dad's, I've always been close with my dad. He was the one that would, you know, put me to sleep at night from the time I was a baby and I ended up going and living with him and now I'm working with him. And so he's always been that, you know, closest person to me in that sense. And that can be really, you know, our relationship's great, but it also can be really hard because a lot of the time I feel like I can't share my emotions with him just in the sense of that he's been there for everything. And I don't know, I know a lot of people feel the same way about not being able to open up to their parents and so I've had to kind of find some outlets through other people to be able to look for, for, I guess, comfort or guidance. And, um, but I, my relationship with my dad has gotten a lot better or my ability to share emotions with my dad has been better over the last few months, but it's definitely been difficult throughout, you know, last 10 years or whatever. So, I want to go back to that day. You dragged all the furniture out into the garage. What happened after that? Cause I want to hear that part of the story. <laughs> um, my mom got very mad because I had been breaking things and dragging my furniture. And so she called my dad and was like, come get your son. <laughs> so, so that changed that day. Yeah. So that's when you moved in nine years old. Yeah. You move in with your dad. Yep. So mm. my, I think my mom was still, she, I don't remember if she's gotten married at this point or if she still was dating the guy that everything happened with. But, um, my dad was still single and maybe date, or I guess, no, he was dating my stepmom now at the time. Um, but we weren't, they weren't married yet. And so we were, it was just me and my dad living in the home that I grew up in. And that was rough too, because, you know, my dad worked full time and, I just went to school and so I stayed with my neighbors and with some of Jody's family and after school and stuff. But at that point I didn't have a relationship with my mom and that's mm -hmm. kind of happened a few times over the last 10 years or whatever. 
So right. from nine years old, you moved out. How long was it until you talked to your mom again at that, at that period? That period, it probably wasn't as long as it has been some of the other periods. I think it was probably only you know, somewhere between like six months and a year, maybe. That's a long time. It's yeah. That's I, a long and I don't time. know if it was even that long. It's kind of, that's really fuzzy. Blur. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we moved in with Jody after they got married and, um, things were still really hard and I was a brat and I didn't, you know, I didn't like the fact that someone was trying to tell me what to do. That wasn't my parent or wasn't my, yeah. And so like, and she didn't like the fact that I wasn't respecting her and her house. And so that relationship was really hard for a while. And, um, you know, I want to, I want to think about that for a moment because you're, you're talking back to half your life ago, explaining this story and, and this timeline and, and, you know, Jeff, you, you have an opportunity to be a, a bonus parent and it's not easy, you know, bringing- although, although I'll say I am probably one of the luckiest stepdads on the planet because I walked into a, a great situation. There really are good kids, but you know, despite that, there still are, are, are challenges. And I, you know, I, I always struggled with making sure I didn't overstep my boundaries. Um, in the back of my head, I always had what I saw on TV and in movies, you know, where you have an, an explosion and it's like, F you, you're not my dad. I pulled that one a few times. Yeah. I, I always had that in the back of my head and I think it probably helped me cultivate those relationships with the kids because of that. Yeah. And you think about, think about Jody, you know, coming in and, and going to be, you know, your bonus mom and, and that's tough. You know, that's, that's a, that's a tough uh, shoes to feel, you know, to, to help bring that balance into a home. And, and I know that it was tough for you because you're still going through all those emotional places, but you know, how, how did you move forward at that point? Um, I mean, I think just time heals a lot of the wounds that are caused through divorce. And, you know, there's still a lot of those wounds that are still here today, but eventually you know, gaining, I guess, me understanding that she is there to care for me and that she's let us come into her house and um, provides you know, that safe space for me and my dad. I think just over time it started to get better and that respect has gone up and we just learned how to deal with each other. Um, but I mean, it's still hard sometimes we still get, we still knock heads and, but it's a lot better than it was then. Um, I think a lot of that too, the relationship. So I guess shortly after we moved in with Jody, I broke my arm in a really bad ATV accident. Um, got the scars to prove it. Yeah. Little, little scars. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) So yeah, pretty serious accident there. My friend tipped over a Polaris razor and the roll bar pinned me to the ground and it snapped my arm. And so that was, you know, two surgeries and a lot of time in the hospital later. I mean, it was like a year and a half of, of healing. It was almost a year with a broken arm before they could put a plate in it. Did that mess up any feeling down in your fingers or anything? No, I've got lucky. functionality That's and good. I got, ex- I was extremely lucky. So and how old were you when that accident happened? Right. About, you know, nine, 10, 11, somewhere okay. in there. Um, but so then, you know, my dad was working full time and Jody was 
working, but she had a more flexible schedule. And so she was the one that took me to the hospital every week to go get checked up. And so I think through that time we created a more sound bond and then things got easier from there. And then just like, you know, we learned each other's boundaries and respected that. So, you know, sports have been a big part of your life. Yeah. So, I mean, that actually, that happened. I took a year off of football after the divorce and, you know, got hurt a little bit. And so that's when that accident happened. If I would have been playing football, I would have been on the field, not screwing around <laughs> with friends. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, football has been a huge part of growing up. And, um, so I've played, you know, ever since I was eight, missed that year or two or whatever it was. And, and have played since then. Um, so I've always been the biggest guy on the field. That's not too hard to believe. Well, tell them how big you are so everybody can put perspective <laughs> to this for just a moment. Now I'm 6'8 and like 350. So, wow. You're my bodyguard. Great big right? teddy bear. Okay. But he yeah. is but a big, very, he is a big so- teddy bear. very solid 350. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Kind of. Wow. Yeah, he was talking about starting 75 hard. A minute ago, no, I, yes. was, I, was, I, yes. <laughs> I was talking about there's no way in the world I would do 75 hard, <laughs> 150 hard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably what I would need to lose the weight. No, but um, so yeah, football was just a big part of it, and I think being so big from so young made it very difficult for me. And then, obviously, like you said, I've got a big heart, and I don't like you know, hurting other people. And so I was always afraid of that. I was going to hurt someone because I was so much bigger than them. So I was kind of soft through, you know, all the way up even into high school. A lot. I still, even my senior year, I struggled to flip the switch and become nasty on the football field. Um, but it just, it just took time to learn. And I, I counted on, you know, the skills and my, um, my technique over being just nasty and aggressive. And so that's probably the only reason I was successful is that I just did what I was taught. And, you know, if the nastiness came on, it just was that much more dominant. So think back to when you were 12. I mean, this is one of the, the, when life really starts to shift as a a young man, young woman is, you know, those right before teenage, early teens, just crazy. Bailey's over here smiling because she's thinking, oh my gosh, that was so long ago. And it was not that long ago. Yeah. But think back to when you were 12, Branson, and, and just, you know, share with us a little bit about, you know, your life, because I know that there was, you know, the roller coaster rides real. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess breaking my arm and the divorce, I ate a lot of my emotions. And so I became, you know, the biggest kid in a lot of ways, not just height wise. And so um, that's like sixth grade, seventh grade. It was really difficult. You know, kids bullied the crap out of me. And how big were you then? I had to have been pushing like five eleven, six foot, because I think I was like six four, six five coming into high school. So a lot bigger than everyone else. And but I just big teddy bear wouldn't defend myself. My emotions were so whacked up that I just I was an easy target. And so those years were really hard. And then I just continued to eat those emotions and that just caused it to be worse. Um, so yeah, I mean those on top of the divorce that shifted my, that hurt my self-confidence and my image even worse than it already was. 
Um, but I, some of those things, you know, seventh, sixth, seventh grade were really difficult going into eighth grade. I had lost some weight and was feeling pretty good about myself then. And so eighth grade was probably the best year that had come up from the sack since the divorce was probably when I was doing the best, but it was still just really difficult. Um, didn't have a ton of people to talk to that. I still was kind of really closed off at that point. Um, I think the biggest difference, you know, started to come as I went into high school. So I had, you know, one of my coaches, he's was the first year in high school. Um, it was his first year, my freshman year as the head coach and he was our offensive line coach as well. And so from the very beginning, we had an extreme, an extremely close bond. What's his name? Cody bird. So he, uh, kind of took me in as one of his own and, you know, people knew who coach's favorite was and it was very apparent, but, um, he really helped me be able to, you know, survive through those four years of high school. And that's basically all it was, was surviving. What was your biggest takeaway from him? I mean, he's just, he was my mentor. He's, you know, that he was the one that would help me if I was, you know, down, help me with schoolwork. I just, he was a second dad. I don't, I don't know what like my biggest takeaway from him would be. I mean, it's just so much happened in those four years. I mean, it sounds like that pure and simple. I mean, he was the one who cared about you to, to you know, make, I don't know where I was going to help you move forward. Help you move yeah. forward. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I mean, I talked earlier about how I couldn't talk to my dad and he was the first person that I could truly, you know, go to with anything and feel comfortable going to with anything. And so that was huge. And so he helped me through everything and, you know, got me to the point where I was. And so you know, I started, started varsity like the, towards the end of my freshman year is when I first started. And so, um, played football from then on, um, went to rapport some point. I think, I don't know if it was my sophomore year or my junior year. It was, I think it might've been like between my sophomore and junior year. Yeah. The summer between your sophomore and junior year, probably. Yeah. So, so how many classes have you been through Two. two? Yeah. So teen Eagle quest and teen leadership breakthrough. Nice. Yeah. So you're, you're like, I think you were either, I think you were between 15 and 16 or something like that yeah, uh, between, between those two years there when you went to teen leadership breakthrough and um, you know, how did you get there? Yeah. So um, Keith Barnes, he was one of our, um, he was we, one of our football coaches. We love us. I Keith. love yeah. Keith. And he, is he a board member at building Utah youth? Once yeah. you're a board member, you're always a board member. Yep. Keith, Keith, if you're listening, love we love you. <laughs> Keith's a gentle giant. That guy, oh, yeah. that, def, that guy's yeah. definitely all heart for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. He was a great guy. Um, so he sent the, the class before me. So I'm 2021. So the 2020 class, um, went in 2018 to rapport um and i saw the effect it had on their leadership and their lives and how they dealt with you know their relationships with the team after they had gone through you know you get in what you put like you get out what you put in and so the guys that didn't really care didn't have much of a difference but a few that really bought into what you guys preach came back different leaders and you know those were their captains our senior year so, or their senior year. 
<laughs> but um, no, so I just, I saw the impact that they had or the rapport had on them. And so, no, after they came back, I went up to my coach and was like, I've got to go. I need to go to this. And I knew I needed it. And um, I knew it was going to be difficult, but I just, I had the feeling that it was something that I needed to do. And so roll around to the next summer and he's telling the kids like, he's all getting to go. And sure enough, my name was on the list and um, I was super pumped about it and super excited. And, you know, I was probably the only one on my team that like truly wanted to go because, you know, there's the, all will be known in due time, but a bunch, a bunch of football, <laughs> a, a bunch of football guys aren't the best at keeping that. Uh, well, yeah, there's nothing that's a secret, Yeah, you know, and, and I'm sure that they shared with you plenty. Yeah. To an extent, they, they made sure they scared us bad enough. And so there was a lot of guys that were just super like, you know, had no interest in going in that showed. And those kids are the ones. How many did you get to go with from your team? Gosh, I don't even remember it had, it was probably seven or eight. I think it was eight, almost 10 or 10. Yeah. I think it was yeah. almost 10. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the guys just had no interest in being there and didn't want to buy into it. And, um, but I knew from day one, that is what I needed to do. And, uh, it also hit me the hardest out of any of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to just talk. Usually we don't stop and, and spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the classes and stuff because it's not really about the class. It's just about, you know, the, the meaningful action after the class, but you know, with you for our listeners, often, you know, we do have teenagers that, that don't want to be there and most don't want to be there when they get there. But you know, that does change throughout the process. Um, you know, Branson wanted to be there and yet there was a moment on them the morning of the second day where, you know, I'll leave you to tell the story. Um, but you know, there was a, a moment on that second day when, when there was a shift. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always struggled with my, you know, self image and the way I look at myself and how much I like myself. Um, and so that was, um, a very, that came out during one of the processes on the second day where you had to get out of your skin and you had to, um, be willing to just, I guess, take a leap of faith. And I don't like making myself the center of attention in the sense of how it is. And that process was all about making yourself the center of attention. Yeah. Um, and so I broke down and I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. I refuse to do it. And so I walked out of the room and I, you know, I was, pissed off and I was like I'm going home I'm done and uh so through that time you know they've <laughs> I didn't wasn't aware of this but you're not supposed to drive yourself to rapport <laughs> correct <laughs> and so I happened to have my car at the bottom of the canyon and they weren't aware of that I guess and so I had my keys um <laughs> and obviously like they had our phones and stuff but um and they're supposed to call your parents and you know try to talk you out of leaving to an extent. Uh, we don't try anything, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But we were definitely, you know, we were definitely counseling with you and, and working to talk you, you know, through that moment in time. But you had ultimately made the choice to do what? To leave. Yeah, and, and you did. Yeah. 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 I mean, so uh, you know, you guys. I mean, you look. It, Branson's big, and 
And when he decided he was leaving, it was, it was like he was leaving, you know, and we, we spent time talking with you and, and we wanted you to stay and you knew we wanted you to stay. And, 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 and this was, this was part of what we're going to get to here in a minute, but you left. And then what happened? Oh, Adam Wilson, Adam Wilson. <laughs> um, yeah. So I remember going and, and grabbing Adam and I'm like, I need you to, to go, you know, we've got the class going on. I need you to go find Branson and Adam disappeared. Adam in his, in his, I mean, Adam is, I mean, Adam's a, a big guy yeah. and he's a big football guy and, and big yet, heart. but Huge. the biggest heart, yeah. the guy is, is, I mean, his emotion is always on, on right there. Yeah. But he, he went after you, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know, all my teammates were making fun of me because they're all sitting there rolling suitcases and stuff up the hill. And I, uh, I had everything packed in my hunting backpack. Um, so by the time that Adam was able to get out and, you know, get ready, all my stuff was packed up and I was marching down the hill and he was like running after me and couldn't catch me. And I just was pissed and going, just hauling butt down the hill. And so by the time that he could get back to his car and get in his car, I was already down at the bottom of the hill in my car. And if I wouldn't have stopped to plug in my stupid phone that I left in the glove box, he would he would never have caught me. But I stopped to just take a second to, you know, because I knew exactly what I was going to do. If I left right then, I was going to rip out of there and, you know, danger myself, if not danger other people. So, mm. but I just took a moment before I took off and all of a sudden he comes just screeching down the mountain and slides like slide and stop in front of me <laughs> and jumps out and you know he started talking to me and just like you know you can go you can go but just give me a, like just let me talk to you and make sure you're safe and and I actually I told like you know I talked to him and he's like you're just trying to stall me and later he's like that's exactly what I was doing because yeah. you know there's that heightened emotion you know you're not clear in, like once you get into that heightened emotion once I get into that heightened emotion um it takes, you know, a certain time period before you can logically think again. And so before I can logically, logically think again, <laughs> um, no, but so he was just trying to give me the opportunity. Not trying. I'm going to get ripped for this one. That's no. okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's been too long. Yes. <laughs> no, but, um, but Adam happened. Yeah. Yeah. No. He knew that if he could, keep me there for a minute. He could get me back into a logical mindset. And so once I was able to kind of calm down and get, you know, back into some sort of state of, I guess, state of logic, that's not the best way to put it, but we decided it was, you know, that I needed to go back and finish it. Um, and that was probably the hardest decision that I had made up to that point in my life. Like not to quit. Yeah, it was, I mean, coming back after I quit. And so yeah, that, I mean, you'd already told your whole team you were out. Yeah. The yeah. humility of that. I mean, they all were standing outside trying to stop me from leaving and going down the hill and you know, I was pushing my teammates out of the way and they were getting in my face and you know, none of them could stop me. But, um, so that was, you were the, you were the eight year old dragging the, the furniture around. Yeah. Yep. That's what Where that else was. does that show up in your life? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. But Adam, Adam and you had a real, uh, heart to heart. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I keep in contact with him 
pretty well and he's one of my other mentors so nice adam's one of one of my mentors yeah. yeah yeah i think everybody you know you talk about rapport brett and what makes this class so difficult you talk a lot about it 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 works right here on you and i don't oh. like working on me yeah it's self-reflection it's looking in the mirror it's accountability to nobody but yourself you wake up in the morning and you don't blame your teacher your dad your mom yep. your sister your brother the accountability starts right here in the mirror and that's when it gets tough for you huh branson i mean it's it's the like I said, you're really good at showing up for everyone else in your life. But myself. But you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's self-reflection is one of the most difficult things for me. Um, what know, are you scared of? I don't know if it's that I'm, I guess, maybe just scared of difference. Maybe like scared of change. I mean, I've hated myself ever since the divorce. Hated who I was. Hated the person that i saw in the mirror hated how i looked just a deep hatred for myself and that's only begun to change in this year who do you see now <laughs> you know i through therapy and stuff one of the things that i've mentioned over the last few weeks is that i'm finally becoming the man that i've always wanted to be and that's so powerful and I never expected that I'd be in this place. I thought I'd be dead before I could ever see this. Mm. So yeah, you've got that, that really, that he marches around, you know, you've got so much happiness and joy. I know when we talked on the phone, it was just like, you're so, you're almost, you know, giddy. He's just so full of life and, and joy. Yeah, it's definitely, it's weird because it's different. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable because it's different. Um, but yeah, this has been, this has been one of the hardest years of my life, but it's been the best year of my life. Mm. And that's so powerful. And, but that didn't come without a lot of work. And it's because you didn't quit. You, you went back. I quit, but I came back. <laughs> so yeah. you didn't quit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, it, it's relevant to anyone in their life, right? Um, adults can relate to this for sure. Any, anyone in this room and anyone listening, you know, when we fall down, you know, sometimes we, we get beat up and we get to pick ourselves back up, dust ourselves off and, and go in that humility. And when our egos get in the way, that's one of the toughest places. And, and you had that opportunity when, when Adam and you, when you put your, your hearts together, because that's what happened, you know, Adam got inside that heart of yours because uh, you could feel that he was genuine. Um, and he wanted, he wanted you to see what he could see in you in that moment. That's the connection. And, and you walk back in that room that day I remember you walking back in that room that day. Yeah, that was not an enjoyable experience. And I still had some resistance to the process. Um, but you know, how did it feel after you went through the process? I, I mean, it was difficult still though. I mean, I was embarrassed and I was um, ashamed probably, but you know, my team surrounded me and helped me get through that process. And then, you know, by the end of the two and a half days, it was very apparent that, you know, people gather around me and that's been apparent since that day. Yeah. You know, but, I got to interrupt you as you talk about, you just brought up two scenarios. When you were younger, you had a coach. He was your mentor. You had Adam at rapport. 
then you you talked about the key part of team leadership breakthrough it's the team there's a common theme going on here it's the people you surround yourself with you don't win by yourself ever you win as a team as a group and it's the people you hang out with if you want to be a loser go hang out with losers if you want to be a winner go hang out with winners there's a reason i'm sitting in this room amen brother yeah you know i'm and, and and i know that you had support in, in being there your graduation. I mean, my favorite memory of that graduation is, um, Ms. Simpson, whom, by the way, who passed herself to a master trainer of teen, uh, about a month ago, about, you know, a month and a half ago. I and wish I could see her. It's been so long. Yeah. Well, we'll have to FaceTime her, you know, awesome. she'd love to see you. And yeah, I know awesome. she can't wait to hear this, but you know, uh, her journey started when she was like 16 years old and, and you fast forward 10 years later in her life and she became a master trainer of the program pretty, and, and she's her standing on that chair. That is the greatest picture of all time. <laughs> standing on a chair while you do your projection test, right? Yeah. But you, you, you followed through, you got that certificate of completion. And I know you felt like, you know, that it was beginning to work on that, you know, confidence, you know, building, starting to build some of that confidence that work on that self-esteem that you had going on and, and starting to move forward. And, and this is happening at, you know, 15, 16 years old. And, and there were some really positive outcomes that happened after leaving teen leadership breakthrough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a roller coaster, you know, that whole time there's been those times of super powerful ups. And then there's been the times of, you know, tremendous fall downs, you know, getting knocked back down and, you know, you come out of, or I come out of, uh, any of the rapport trainings feeling like a brand new person, like revived with life and you know, on top of the world, ready to go attack anything. And that only lasts so long. And so you got to find, you know, I've got to find it in myself, how to keep that progressing and how to keep that alive and not just count on know a class to give that motivation yeah, and I, I, I can tell you that you know from from my point of view you're, you're spot on um that that is the way it works and and it is about the people that jj said you know we you know we keep each other going um you know the people in this room but outside of that it is all of those relationships it's that it's those family members it's the coaches it's the mentors it's the people you get to work with and and work hard you know Sometimes you get up in the morning, I'll speak for me. I get up in the morning, not for me, for other people. Cause I, I, I want to make sure that I'm there to help them. And, and I know that that's helped you. And you left there and went back to, to playing football. And I want to keep moving forward. Cause I know there's a lot that's happened in that time frame. I want to keep moving forward. What happened next? Um, yeah. So, I mean, came home from rapport and, you know, began to integrate some of the things I learned at rapport with my teammates and, it didn't do much good. I think just because I was, you know, I was still a younger guy. Um, not a ton of, it's a small school though. So I, I had some respect, but you know, I was still changing who I was from the people that knew me throughout ele- elementary and middle school. And they saw that version of me to who I was as I was growing up, you know, people keep, especially in a small town, people, um, a lot of judgment. Yeah. People keep, you know, the way they saw you five years ago is the same way they see you today. So, um, I had to you know it took a lot of time to earn back some of that respect. And, um, but I started to integrate those and saw them being integrated by the upperclassmen as well. And 
you know, our team became a lot closer and it was very powerful in the way that we were able to keep each other motivated by showing up ourselves. And so, you know, leaders don't lead from the back. Um, you've got to be the first one jumping in. And that's what a lot of us um, had the emphasis on is, you know, always being the first, you know, we were, you know, you sprint through the finish line. You don't sprint, you know, you don't stop five, you know, we're going, I think it was our junior or senior year where, you know, every sprint that we did, you, you know, this, your finish line was 10 yards past the finish line. You know, you didn't let off that gas until you were 10 yards past. And, you know, the accountability of the other leaders to, um, just set the example, I guess, is probably the best way. It became a lot more powerful after those trainings. And then going into my senior year, I guess I went back to, I don't know where I'm at. Um, well, about that time is when you went to Tino Quest. Yeah. yeah, so got a call from Adam and uh, <laughs> got the chance to go to Teen Eagle Quest and was given that opportunity. And that's where uh, Bailey came into play and she we got to meet and that was a very positive experience and we connected straight off the bat and it was yes, a lot of fun in the middle of nowhere in alamo <laughs> <laughs> there's literally a, there's a favorite saying we have on the wall out there that sometimes you find yourself in the middle of nowhere and sometimes in the middle of nowhere you find yourself oh completely like i feel right off the bat we like hit it off and we were on the bus together playing games talking kind of figuring out oh we had mutual friends that um he went to high school with and um like just literally best friends from the moment we met each other and um just going through that class like through every exercise like we always knew that we had each other so if i was having a rough time like i would grab his arm if he was having a rough time he'd grab my arm like it we, like we talk about it to this day it was just so weird to see how quickly we just bonded it like it was just it was unbelievable what was funny is that that was the first time that i met you it was at graduation and i could see that side of you immediately how much of a leader you were to everyone in the class how much you lifted everyone up i mean it just came screaming out yeah i mean i don't i've always been you know it's always seemed to be that way and it was kind of through the rapport classes i've seen that a lot more and it's i don't know if it's between the big heart and just being also a big presence it feels safe i don't know if that's part of it but it definitely people surround me and i don't always know how to handle that the best um but it's it's you know helping other people is what i enjoy to do and so that's kind of just the same thing i've taken into that is that i'm just helping other people people love you you're going to end up being Adam watch. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. Um, or, or maybe like a Brandon Blanchard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, I know that it'll, it's, I don't know exactly what's coming for my future, but I have, you know, some thoughts that that's kind of the direction it's going to go. So again, I'm going to stop at Tino quest for just a moment because I remember a Tino quest uh, being able to get on the phone with you and, and that wasn't an easy class for you. I know it was like everything it's the things that are worth doing aren't easy. So yeah, I mean, Bailey, you were there. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. Teen Eagle class is like you dig into yourself, you dig into your inner demons and you tell everyone them and we all hold each other accountable. 
to if we get anxious or we start to feel depressed like to tell someone um and I even had a really hard time through that as well because um I was figuring out kind of who I wanted to be and who I was um and I think kind of all of us were at that point in our class um so it is hard because you really dig into your worst fear and you tell everyone in that class which Branson loves to do so much oh I don't I think so much really really love to do it yeah, but that was, that was definitely one of those hold up the mirror times. And, and again, you, you know, went back to some of that, those habits and that behavior of, you know, I, I'm out. Right. And, and you knew you wanted to stick around. You knew when you wanted to complete it, but it was still that, that inner fight with you have yourself, like back to that eight year old little boy dragging the furniture into the garage going, I'm out of here. And, you know, you, you continued to battle through it and were able to calm down again. Yeah. Like, you know, we talked about earlier that hard headedness, hard headedness goes both ways. You know, rather that's positive or negative. It's uh, very easy to have that quickly turn into a negative because I get in that sense of I'm done and that's I'm, my mind's made up. I mean, unless I can get someone to talk me out of it, which is you know what my mentors are for <laughs> is what I've used them for. You know, Coach Bird, he's you know that's he saved my butt you know there's sat in my car after practice countless times or before practice just like so in my head that i couldn't physically make myself move i couldn't go home i couldn't get out and go practice like i sat there and waved a little red flag until you know until coach bird came and saved me and talked to me and kind of kicked me in the butt and brought that not like that logic back in so the listeners out there i'm sure there's others just like you any advice to them and it I'd obviously find a good mentor, but anything else? I mean, we'll talk about it here shortly, I'm sure. But, you know, I've in the past you know, year have bought into therapy a ton. And I think that, you know, how did you get there, though? Falling on my ass. I don't know. Are we allowed to swear? <laughs> Falling on my ass bad. <laughs> like, so, um, no, yeah, but there was, there was a, a little bit of a time frame there, you know, shared, like jump right into you leave teeny quest, you come home and I know you, you really hit the ground running because you had a lot going on. So share with the listeners what you had going on in your life at that point, because I know that Bailey had a lot going on leaving that class. This is the weekend. Everyone that they closed Las Vegas. This is the, this is the weekend that COVID began. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in that time period is also when I first started getting offers from schools. And so I had just gotten, you know, within the time of like three weeks before that class, I had like three or four power five division one offers for football. And so that was, you know, another huge thing added onto that list. And, um, so we came home from Teen Eagle Quest and, you know, it was now I had all the presence of social media and, you know, interviews and all this online presence that I wasn't used to. And then yet on top of that, the stress of school and the stress of football, my senior year was a very difficult year. Um, I was at one of the lower points in my life mentally. And, you know, I still was leading, doing the best I could to lead my team from the front. And I think I did a pretty good job my senior year showing those skills that I learned in rapport and, um, 
you know, had a pretty successful year for what it was with my team. And I feel like I feel good about the way I left and the, my presence as a leader. But, um, so shortly after Teen Eagle Quest, I ended up committing to the University of Nebraska. Um, and so that after that, it was kind of just working towards making that goal happen while also fighting all my mental demons. Um, so I make it through my senior year, broke my leg, my fibula. So that, you know, I, that was like towards the end of the football season. And you know, I was super stressed out in school because I was trying to graduate early and had my plate full on that side of things. And then, you know, the stress from the social media and the interviews. And so there's just a lot going on. And I didn't realize how bad things truly were. Um, my coaches come to find out knew that I wasn't very in a very good spot, but I didn't know. And they just had to let me take that challenge and, you know, figure that out on my own. But so are you thankful that they let you do that? Absolutely. Cause I never, I mean, and I'm extremely grateful for my opportunity at the university of Nebraska because it got me to the point I am now, you know, I never would have had the chance to do the therapy I've done in the last eight months if it wasn't for that school and that opportunity. And so I graduated early in December and went off to school in like Wait, this. I FaceTimed you before you went oh. and I told you how it was going to go. Yeah. So I had just finished my first year of playing and he called me. He's like, what do I expect? I don't even know. And I was like, well, to be honest, you need to expect hell. And he was like, <laughs> what? are you talking about? So I just told him that, you know, it's, it turns into a job. It's not so, you know, fun and dandy and you can kind of do what you want when you want. It's not, it's, it is really fun and it's a great experience, but it's definitely really hard because it turns into a job and, and you're eating healthy every single day. You're working out every single day. You have, you have to wake up at five 30 and you don't get to go to bed till 11, like every all week long, 24 seven, all day, every day. It's, eat, sleep, breathe, whatever yeah. sport you play. Yeah. If you're not on the football field or you're not in the weight room, you're studying and you're or you're in the library yeah. or you're eating like, or you're with the other teammates talking about football. Like it's 24 seven. So I, I set him up with a little, little scariness going in. <laughs> <laughs> but you were thankful for. Yeah, absolutely. No, I just, yeah. I mean, got in, to Nebraska around the first or second week of Jan I think it was like the second or third week of January actually. And, you know, at that point the hype had kind of built up and I was feeling better and, you know, kind of excited about the opportunity. And, um, then I got to school and I was dating a girl at the time. Um, we had been together since like October or something of that last year. So it was a few months. Um, but so I was going to school and dealing with, that relationship and football on top of that. And like within the first two or three weeks, I had a shoulder surgery because I had torn my labrum in high school. And so, you know, shoulder surgery was out of practice away from my teammates. Um, my mental health problems were on top of that. I mean, it just, it was too much. And, you know, I was in with the psychologist meeting with her weekly and then twice a week. And, it just, it still wasn't enough. And, um, you know, I was there for about two months before things just got to be too much. And I ended up, 
Um, I don't know. It was a suicide attempt, but not, I don't, I don't know how to play it out. It was, I think it was more of a cry for help than anything. Um, just wanting to be seen, but had that one, like, I don't remember what night it was, but one night had that, you know, quote unquote suicide attempt. And then the very next night, my, that girl I was dating broke up with me because she couldn't handle it anymore. Um, she couldn't handle all the mental health. And so that was when I got to experience my first panic attack. And that is a lot of fun. Um, so I had no idea what was going on and I called my psychologist freaking out, you know, feels like you're dying. Honestly, like a panic attack is terrifying. And, um, so I ended up going to the hospital. The trainer came and got me and ended up getting admitted for a mental health eval and spent, you know, like I think it was five or six days in the hospital. Um, and just like all of a sudden, you know, the world just shifted. Um, but after that, when I guess they flew my dad out while I was in the hospital. And after I got out, we went and sat down with the psychologist and with my coach and kind of came up with a game plan that, you know, the therapy I was getting there wasn't enough. Um, and then I needed something more. And so I came back home to go to, you know, a more intense therapy and was home for about a month before I was able to get in. But I went to a residential treatment center in Provo. Um, and so that was, you know, one of the hardest and most rewarding things that I've probably ever been through. Um, I want you to share with the listeners real quick, Branson, how, you know, did you feel like you needed help before then? Did you feel like you wanted the help before then? Was it something that you uh, were looking for or, or a little bit resistant to? Um, I think it was, kind of the same thing as, you know, the same thing as rapport. It was something I kind of knew I needed and wanted to do, but didn't have the outlet to do it or didn't know the extent of what was going on. Um, you know, one of the things with my diagnosis, which is borderline personality disorder is that, you know, you can go into those moments of high emotions and be like, you know, I'm going to die. This is the end type thing. And then, like 10 minutes later, you're like, Oh, I'm fine. It's just a joke. I'm good. I don't need any help. And so that's, you know, had been through a lot of that. And so I go from that night, you know, feeling like I'm dying on my, in my room to the next day in the hospital. It's like, Oh, there's nothing wrong. This is just, this is silly. I don't need this. Um, and that same kind of thing happened when I got to the residential treatment center, I was there for like, 10 days and your first 14 days are a blackout. So you don't talk to anyone outside of it just to kind of acclimate, but, um, was doing pretty good in there and a little bit resistant to treatment. But that 10th day, um, one of the mentors there didn't reinforce some of the negative behaviors that I liked to use. And so I got pissed off and I quit just like always I walked out. Um, and so, that was probably the biggest turning moment for me, understanding the full depth of what I was going through and how serious my situation was, was you know, those few days that I was out. I left, they call AMA, leaving against medical advice. Um, and so I left on a Friday and I was back Monday morning. And that, you know, those two or three days 
sitting at home, I realized how miserable I was with how I was living my life. Um, so I spent the next two months learning how to handle the emotions that I'm experiencing and regulate, you know, the way that I handle everyday life. Um, lots of, you know, just self-reflection type stuff that was very difficult for me to do. And, um, but I kind of, you know, I found the therapist that I worked well with and did lots of game planning, you know, just kind of the same thing that I was always used to is here's the problem. Let's attack it. And so that was what has worked for me. Um, and I just, yeah, I mean, I don't have the solution for it. And I think, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, suicidal ideation and, you know, you just, you're, you're not happy with where you're at in life. It is so important to go seek that help because, you know, this has been one of the hardest years of my life, but it's also now the best year that I've ever experienced. And so, um, I think it's just, it's so important to get the help because that life worth living is out there. If you go, go and make it happen. Branson, I got big interruption here. I, I know there's a lot of people listening right now, maybe not the same situation that you're going through and they're maybe thinking of suicide and you just answered the call and it's big. And, and we believe at building Utah youth in the ripple effect and you're, and you're right in there. You just, you just dropped a ripple. And what that means is you just gave some great advice to a 12, 13, 14, 15 year old that might be on the edge and wanting to commit suicide, go get help. And there's suicide hotlines. There's parents, there's coaches. You reminded us today on this podcast, but your life's worth living. Absolutely. But I think you need, I don't think I know you need the help based on the story you just told me. So anybody out there listening, listen to this podcast again. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you may feel like you're alone and you're in the dark and that, you know, there's nothing to live for. Um, and I know exactly what that feels like and how miserable it is. And you feel like no one else cares and there's nothing anyone can do and that it's never going to get better. And I lived in that for a long time. And all those feelings are so valid and so real, even, in, you know, to you in that moment. To me, in that moment, those feelings were so real. And I'm just, you know, I'm beyond grateful that I didn't go through with it and that I'm getting this chance to, um, to live that life that I've always wanted to be, the man that I've always wanted to be. Um, and I never would have gotten that chance to see that if I wouldn't have had some of these people around me. And you know, there's a big thing going on right now on social media and stuff about how no one cares about a man's feelings or no one cares about men's emotions. And that's a huge thing right now. And I promise you, you guys that are, you know, that are listening and that are in the dark and that don't have any help that there are people out there that care about you. There's people like Adam, there's people like Brett, there's people like coach bird. You know, I've, you just gotta, you can't give up. Um, and that's almost impossible to see in that moment. But Shut out all the noise. 
especially on social media. Yeah. Yeah. How's your relationship with your dad after going through this? Cause I know he's been along for the ride. Yeah. I mean, through everything. I mean, you know, he was with me at rapport and every time I came out of one of the rapport trainings, it was always, you're such a different person, you know, it's huge. And so the same thing through this. Cause I know you got your heart from your dad. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got a big heart too. But, um, no, I mean, our relationship is better than it ever has been. You know, I work with him every day, so we do excavation together. And so, you know, he's training me in that sense. And we're, I'm starting to be able to come to him with more of my problems and build that relationship on a deeper level than what it has been. Um, but he's always been there for me, you know, even if, I mean, it's difficult for parents to be able to help their kids in any way. And I think that's something that's really important to understand too, is that it's not that your kid doesn't love you. It's not that they, you know, that they don't think that you can help. It's not that, you know, when, when you're, or when I'm in that deep, dark place, the last person that I want to talk to or want help from is one of my parents. And I don't know. I mean, I know that's a pretty common theme for most kids is that, you know, your parent, nothing they say or do is going to get you out of that place. It's got to be a third party. And so, you know, if your kids are struggling and they need that extra help, it is so important to give them the outlet. It's all it takes is one chance for that kid. And that could be that chance. Oh, completely. But I also agree that I, I feel like, and I feel like you would feel the same. We don't want to put that burden onto our parents because they already do so much for us. They are provide so much for us that we don't want to share those feelings of loneliness or of self doubt or suicide um, and, and make them have to worry about more than they already do. So what advice would you give a parent, you know, as you look, look at it from that perspective. And I know you had an opportunity at one point to put yourself in, in your parents' shoes and look at your, at you, you know, what advice, if any, that you could offer today to a parent that, you know, is worried about their, their kids because every parent worries about their kids, everyone. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, the biggest thing is, you know, just support them from a distance. Don't, you know, you can't, I guess the helicopter parenting and like the pounding down on your, on your kids and like, like, why don't you talk to me? Like, let me help you. That's not the way to approach it. It's got to be from a loving, like, no, your feelings are valid. That's one thing that a lot of parents fail at is letting their kids' emotions be valid, even if it is suicide. Like, you know, I understand that, you know, you feel like it's not worth living anymore. And that's, you know, that's a dark place to be. And I think that you just need to give your, you know, your children or your kids or whatever the opportunity to get the help if they want it. And like to let them know that that's something that's okay. You know, from my, my perspective, one of the things that I focus on is my kids and, and they have, uh, you know, they, they do martial arts and, um, you know, they've got amazing mentors that just, I know they listen to everything they have to say and they never listen to anything I have to say. Um, and I get a little bit jealous about it, but it's real. Um, do you feel like sports, um, and, and those activities have, have really been helpful? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it was, it's an escape and that sometimes all you need is that to get out of that house and to go do something like, 
in dialectical behavioral therapy, which is what, you know, what was taught at the um, residential center I was at, it's called building mastery. It's, you know, you're doing something that you enjoy and it creates a sense of accomplishment. And so, you know, through sports or for me, a lot of that's through archery and hunting is a huge part of my life. And so, you know, those things that are, um, I guess giving them the opportunity to have that escape and to go find someone to, that they can talk to and they feel like cares. That's a huge thing too. And support it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know Bailey, you've, you've, you know, it's been part of your life. Oh, completely. And I, I really agree with getting that third party perspective. Um, I've gotten, um, really into therapy this last year as well. And just having someone that is never in your life to see what's going on, but is there to listen and say, Oh, Holy crap, that's kind of nuts. And listen to you and, you know, really dig deep about how you actually feel about it. And, and listen to how you truly feel and don't have a bias about it is is really comforting and um for me has opened up the way i view it and has allowed me to deal with it because they don't have a say they're just there to help you and i think that's huge because parents don't mean to but a lot of the time it comes with advice giving and sometimes kids just want to list someone to listen to them and that's it they don't need um, advice giving. And I feel like just as humans, we always want to give advice. We always want to help someone. We always want them to just take the pain away and make them feel better. Um, but through therapy, that's really helped me because sometimes you can't find that in others. Sometimes people just want to take it away, but they don't want to listen. Um, and so for me through therapy, I've been able to understand that, that it's okay to not give advice to everyone all the time. You need to, you know, be aware if someone does just need a listening ear or if they actually do need you know that advice giving or you know little, little guidance through what they're going through they'll um, usually ask for it oh exactly um i like really i've come to realize that 80 percent of the time they just need to you know someone to listen to them and the other 20 is when they need that advice so Branson, you come out of that that treatment and it's it's been a game changer absolutely my life i mean you know, I spent the two months there and then spent the next month or two doing, you know, online classes with the same program that just kind of, you know, step you down from living inside of such a confined, controlled environment to getting back into real life. And um, it was absolutely huge and just learning how to regulate and deal with my emotions and understanding um, and being aware of those emotions when they're arising and being able to fight that with those skills that I was taught has just changed the whole world. And all that hopelessness and that darkness has begun to just kind of, you know, fade away and it still comes, it still ebbs and flows like days still get dark and still get hard. Um, but they don't like they used to, it's not the same. Now I want to make sure that, you know, I know that we're running out of time here, but I want to make sure we touch on two things one what are some of those skills that you're working on that you can share with the listeners because it's important that they understand it i mean they're, they're really basic skills um and they work um and number two we definitely want to hear what's next for you yeah i mean just you know a huge thing for me is that mindfulness aspect of just being aware of your emotions and your, the environment that you're in and understanding you know why you're feeling that and what's coming up 
from it. Like, what are you feeling because of what's going on and being able to step in before things get too bad. Um, and that's kind of what the whole program's about is learning how to deal with those emotions before that becomes a catastrophe. And so, you know, taking a step back and doing some breathing and just giving yourself a moment to think and to process it before you get into that emotional, I guess, or the, you know, what do they call it? Um, into emotional distress. And so, um, there's all sorts of different things. There's like the building mastery that I talked about is that, you know, you're doing something that gives you a sense of accomplishment and you know, there's all sorts of activities that you can do to keep your mind off of it and to, um, just give you that opportunity to get yourself out of it. And then there's also like one of the biggest things for when you already are in like that emotional distress and it's, you know, the world's crashing down and you know, that it's going to be, you know, this is it type moment is there's a skilled called tip and that's temperature, intense exercise, paced breathing, impaired muscle relaxation. And it's one of the only skills that they teach that directly affects like your body and your brain. Like it, sh it shocks you back into a, um, I guess like it, it gives your body like almost like a reboot to just be able to get back in to that logical mind or that, you know, they call it a wise mind. So you're not too emotional and you're not too logical. Um, one of the examples I think you used earlier before we started the podcast tonight was sticking your head in a, in, in a, a, a sink of ice, right? Yeah. Bowl of ice water. It's, you know, it's a, it's a shock to your system. It's a actual like physiological, physiological, is that the right word? Or yeah. So I mean, it's just like, it's a, you know, it's a real response to your body instead of just like, you know, doing some of these other things. This is one of the ones that work when things get really out of whack. And so you're sticking your face into a bowl of ice water and, you know, the intense, intense exercise is just, you know, getting your heart rate up and, you know, just it, it's just getting your mind off of it and the pace breathing is slowing your heart rate down. And, you know, there's, it's just, it's shifting your attention from what's going on in in, in, you know, in your head or in that present moment, it's switching that to a, like focus on something, something else besides what's going on and just trying to get yourself back into that ability to be mindful of what's going on around you. So I'm going to take an ice bath tonight. Thank you. Yeah. A 75 hard's going to, yes, yeah, exactly. yeah, I actually did that on Sunday. I'm not doing an ice bath, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for Branson Yeager? Yeah. I mean, Right now, I'm just kind of enjoying the moment and living up the happiness and just getting through the end of this year is kind of my plan with my therapist to just enjoy it. And, but I think in the next, you know, first quarter of the year, I am going to go and work at that recovery center as a part-time job along with doing the excavation and try to get my foot into that world. I'm going to try to, you know, you're going to do I'm, that. I'm going to get my foot into that world and see, you know, if that's something I want to pursue is the is the therapy world, because, you know, I am so good at helping other people and I do have a big heart and people respond to that very well. And that seems to me like it's coming around full circle from your coach and how he treated you with compassion 
and that caring that now you're looking to go and give that back to someone else who needs it. Absolutely. I mean, it's been very apparent to me through my time in the therapy world at the treatment center is just, you know, people tell me over and over and over again, how good I am at, you know, giving advice and making people feel better and just understanding. I don't, I mean, it's, I don't know where it comes from, but it's like when I get into that moment of giving advice or dealing with those things, it's like a blanket comes over me and I just, it words just start flowing. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I think it's just a gift that I, have gotten lucky enough to have the opportunity to use. I think it's, you know, it goes back into that um, talk earlier about the advice giving and the just being heard and it all goes first full circle. I'm not the best at, you know, just listening. That's not my strong suit. Um, I disagree with that because on our FaceTime calls, you listen very well to me. Oh, well, I guess that works, but um, <laughs> it's okay to say thank you. Thank you. I'm also not very good at taking compliments. Yeah. That's something I probably should work on. <laughs> you should? Yeah. I'm going to. All right. Yeah. No, but I mean, it is one of those things too, is, you know, some more part of the therapy world is that, you know, typically like male versus female males respond to um, advice giving and to like the logical working down of things. And most, you know, it's, it's found in studies that most women just want to be heard and want to be validated. And so I, you know, that's exactly how I am as I'm, you know, my, me and my therapist, we're sitting there and we're game planning. It's like, I come in with a problem. It's like, this is what's going on. How are we going to fix it? Like, and that's what works for me. And that's not what works for everyone. Yeah. You're giving marriage advice right now. <laughs> say, I'm complete opposite. I have to get listened to, and then we can game plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, this is marriage advice. <laughs> you know, Branson, um, you know, we're really proud of you, man really proud of you. I know you've been, you're a fighter. Um, and you just keep fighting and just know that, you know, you do have a, a strong, uh, following of, of people that, that can see the brilliance and can see that compassion, that empathy that you have. And you get to lead with that because that is your strength. And as you looked at those strengths and weaknesses and yeah, you're hard headed. <laughs> um, and that's probably not going to change. No, soon, I've been that way but, my whole life. But, you know, when you recognize it, become aware of it right now. And you recognize that, that when you use it for the wrong reasons or you overuse it, it does become that, you know, weakness, if you yeah, will. For sure. So, you know, we just encourage you to, you know, keep going. You're, you know, 18. I mean, JJ doesn't even remember being 18. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just wow. Sorry about that, pal. <laughs> I'm old. No, we just encourage you to keep going. I mean, you and Bailey staying in touch is, is, is just powerful. And I know you guys have created that, you know, elsewhere and, and onward and upward, man. Um, anything you, you want to shout out to anybody in your life right now? Anything you want to say? I don't know. I mean, just wish Adam could be here to share a little bit of that story together. That would have been cool. Cause I mean, he was a huge part of my success through rapport, but he's definitely is you know, been one of the biggest influences in my life. And then along with coach burden, you know, Keith giving the football team the opportunity to have that experience and to give me the pleasure to meet some incredible people. So I've gotten some really cool opportunities over the last few years to meet some awesome people. And the commonality is that it's because of who you are, right? 
That's yeah. what you have to recognize who you are. And, and then you seize those opportunities and it doesn't mean they always work out, but you took action. And I know you, you, you did quit and then you went back at it again, right? You went back at it and that's, what's important. It's about following through. So just thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to follow us online on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Building Utah Youth and our website, buildingutahyouth.org. Respect, integrity, passion, personal power, leadership, enthusiasm. This has been the Empowering Youth Podcast from Building Utah Youth. To become part of the 3%, visit Building Utah Youth on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or on our website at buildingutahyouth.com.